It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Episode 79, Handling Medical Information on the Internet. My conversation with Leah Bultrich of Prestige Veteran Medical Consulting. Leah is the founder of Prestige Veteran Medical Consulting. She's a U.S. Army veteran, physician assistant, and former Department of Veterans Affairs contract compensation and pen examiner. Her organization assists veterans with independent medical examination opinion letters, often referred to as nexus letters, which helps show a link between a veteran's injury or illness and their military service. Driven by passion and purpose, Leah aims to create a sustainable change that empowers veterans and future generations. Join Leah and I as we discuss how she uses technology to assist her clients and grow her business. Enjoy. Have you been enjoying the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast? Consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feeds. Leah, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. I am super excited to chat. I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, please tell us what your current tech setup is. So that's a great question. We are a completely remote, we live in a remote environment. And so our tech stack includes a few different organizations and companies like Google Drive. We use a lot of the G Suite. We use Zoho, which is, if you're not familiar with Zoho, it's sort of like a Salesforce alternative or mm -hmm. a HubSpot, something like that. But with Zoho, it's super exciting. And we'll get into that as we talk today. They are one of the only HIPAA compliance options out there for... Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons we went with them because they offer business associate agreements and they're HIPAA compliant. And I know we're going to get into some of that. So that's why we really like Zoho because of the encryption technology that they use and all that. We also use another technology called JotForm. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with that? Have you? I am some, but please, if you'd like to describe it briefly, please do. Yeah. So it's like a form builder, like Google Forms, mm -hmm. Zoho. Actually, we may migrate because Zoho has an alternative. And so we may be mm -hmm. condensing down some of those services that are duplicate. But it's a great technology that allows us to get data from our clients or from our associates, our attorney associates, also to collect data on questionnaires. If some of my clients or the veterans that I work with have a specific medical condition, I'm able to provide them an encrypted way to provide responses to what their medical conditions are. And so that technology is really great for that. We also use third-party backup service called Spanning. Are you, have you heard of Spanning before? No, I haven't, please. Or Backupify. Have you heard of Backupify? Neither of them. So it's one of these things that we'll get into in today's chat as well, where for our catastrophic data management plan, mm -hmm. we're able to daily do backups of our okay. entire ecosystem so that mm -hmm. we can, if anything happens, we're able to recover that data on a every single day. I can go back to this time last year and, and look at all the emails that we sent, look at right. the data that's in our G, it, it just backs everything up automatically, which so is So wait, amazing. I should probably pause you. Are you a Windows or Mac-based platform? Windows. Okay. Windows. So and that, that's fine. Just I thought it'd be helpful for the audience. Yeah. 
So, and, and again, but you can access a lot of these because they're all software in the cloud, right? right? So they can be done on Apple devices, but you know, that's pretty much it. My entire stack is essentially in the cloud environment, which makes things wonderful because we have, we can lean into those third-party service providers for their compliance, being SOC certified, and all those things we require. We use companies that have high compliance standards, essentially. So how did you find that information about the various companies that they were so compliant? So they all individually, they have, they advertise them for one. And then mm -hmm. also as part of our annual security audits, we can request them to provide their security audits so that mm -hmm. we can review them to make sure that they are also compliant. And you know, everyone, I don't want to say everyone knows Google, but everyone knows G Suite is pretty, you know, they're one of those top tier, like Microsoft, like Outlook and all these right. other big leaders. But when we search out companies to partner with, we have to make sure that they meet these minimum requirements so that we can safeguard our data. Tell me about your security audit that you do annually. How is that done? So we do an internal security audit, but then we also do an external third-party security audit. So we're currently using a company called Patrick Price. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. I am. So we use Kirkpatrick Price. We are currently actually doing a gap analysis because we want to prep for the external security audit. And they're kind of giving us those tools and guidelines to make sure that we're meeting those specifications. So that way, when we do our security audit this year, we kind of already have a little, almost like a pass that we know that we're probably going to be where we need to be. So they're advising gotcha. us and consulting with us on making sure that we get to those compliance metrics and that we're dress right dress. You're talking about certain backup software programs. And mm -hmm. I have to ask, do you have, do you use any other means of backup? Do you have any on-site backups? Do you have different cloud backups? So, well, we have a few different things, right? So I can't leave out our website. So we actually back up our website as well. Right. So we use technology that backs up the website for our actual sensitive files. Like I said, we use the parent company is called Kaiseya, but right. the spanning is the backup. They actually own Backupify and spanning. And those are two of the leaders in the industry for cloud backup. And so we use that predominantly to back up those files. Zoho also backs itself up, mm -hmm. but we don't really contain a lot of the, we use G Suite mostly for right. our secure files. Zoho is more for our client relationship management system. So that also gets backed up, but not as much sensitive data is stored. Although so you it could be. So you have no physical on-site no. backups? No, because everything is in the cloud. So we don't like have a server here or anything like that where we store data. I don't keep anything on my desktop, nothing like that. Everything is in the cloud. Is there a preference? Well, I like to keep everything in the cloud just so that it can be in one place and we can have processes and procedures right. that are like, basically, we don't have stuff in many places, right? If we right. had an office building, we don't work a completely remote environment. So right. if I had an office where when I used to work clinically, we may have file folders full of, you know, when I was in the military, we had big file cabinets full of hard copy records right. and things like oh, that. Yeah. But just due to the nature of my business, there really isn't a need for physical copies of, and then we have to be tighter on physical security parameters. And of course, we've got to have physical security because even though things are in the cloud, if I don't have a password on my computer, anyone can come into my office right. and just log on, right? If I bring my laptop to Starbucks and forget it there, that's a physical security issue as well, right? I'm guessing it doesn't need to be said that you use some sort of VPN. So I do use a VPN, but I also use like, and I have a home office. So my right. home office is just my home office. 
Starbucks, right? Right, right. And um, I, but I, if I, I'm talking about like it's Starbucks. Yeah. To- oh, yes, totally. <laughs> if I'm actually, I just don't even really work out of the home. Or if I do, like I went on a vacation for a couple of weeks, I use a VPN, right? Mm-hmm. But for the most part, 99% of the time, all my work is being conducted at home. Right. In our information security policy, all of our workforce members have those same guidelines that they're told, hey, if you're going to be out of your secure area, you've got to use a VPN. And here are some other security measurements that they all have to adhere to. Well, one thing I'm curious about, because I think you're the first person I've spoken with. And mind you, I, I typically talk with other attorneys and, and more in the tech field and less <laughs> of the expert service provided that, that you guys are, that there's usually a 3-2-1 backup. That for every device, there is at least two backups. Actually, there's three backups, but in two different areas, like there may be one on site and there may be one in the cloud, or Mm -hmm. there may be one like somewhere like in a building across state and then on the cloud or one house somewhere within the office or the home office. And then you, you have three different means of backing up, whether it's like using Backblaze, some consider Dropbox to be a backup, and then have some sort of hard copy on an SSD. And so I just, in my mind, I'm trying to get my head wrapped around your concept, which I, on one hand, is easy. And you do have two different forms of backup between the, I think it was spanning and backup file. No. So we have spanning. We have Google Drive itself. Okay. Stores the documents. Oh, right, and then right. we do have a third means, and that's actually Jot form. So they are all okay. three cloud-based. But for mm. example, JotForm is where we, like, if you come to me and you transfer me some records and you use right. JotForm. It actually stores in JotForm, which is right. also a compliance platform. Right. And then I have it integrate. There's an integration with Google right. Drive where it will okay. just zip right over encrypted. And so then it stores there and then spanning will also back it up. So we've got, if Google goes down, I've got spanning and I've got JotForm right. that I can pull the records from. So I think my biggest fear would be if whatever happens, something happens on the cloud, it corrupts the data there and mm-hmm. perhaps cross-contaminates and then you're, you're screwed and or... If you can't get access to the internet for whatever reason, the mm-hmm. World Wide Web is down or there's a huge power outage mm-hmm. with the internet service provider in your mm-hmm. area. That's why I like to have the physical backup. Sure. And, and please, please, no, I'm not trying to poop. No, it's okay. Do. I'm just trying to understand. And I've got backups out the wazoo. I mean, I have another computer dedicated to have a copy of the office running in the background at all time so mm-hmm. that if my desktop goes, I can go right over to my Mac mini and mm-hmm. continue working from there. Now, will I have the power of the Mac Studio that I have right now? No, but that's not the point. The point is to make sure I have a backup computer that can go to, heavens forbid, things go down completely. And then, of course, I have a laptop when I'm on the road, and I'm mm-hmm. using a VPN like you are. The other question I have to ask is, who's your ISP? Who's your internet service provider? So that's for a really, your home great, office. For your that's home a really office. great question. So we have fiber optic. Okay, and yeah. I believe it's AT. Okay. Don't count me on that. I would have to ask my business partner and husband because he handles that, but I'm fairly certain it's AT&T fiber optic service. Do you know what your up down is? I do not know that, but I do know that is something that we... So let me preface this by also stating I'm the CEO of the company, but I also have like a security officer. So my security officer, she is the one that's hand in hand with... Mm Patrick Price. So I may not know the answer to that question right this second, but it is something we definitely have eyes on and I would have to get back to you on. So we'll do a little exercise right now, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Uh, if you can open up a web browser and go to speedtest.net. Yes. Actually, I think I've done this before. Okay. And of course, if you're listening, you can play along and try that yourself to see what your current up 
and download speeds are. Actually, I'll go ahead and do that myself as we do it live on the air. So where it's loading. There is an app you can download and hit go and I'm running. So it says download 75.47 and now it's doing the upload. When I moved in with my wife, 16, 17 years ago, she had sort of a like a welcoming gift for me because Verizon was going around the neighborhood saying, would you like Fios? Because we can give you this great internet speed. And they got the one gig up and down. And of course, you don't always get that. And so for instance, right now, as the results come in, I'm getting roughly nearly 800 oh, wow. download wow. and nearly 700 plus 750. Well, no, we're going nope, to hit 800, almost 800 upload. That's crazy because I don't feel like my stuff is slow, but it must be incredibly slow compared to the numbers that you're putting out. Well, I want to make sure I'm having no interference. And trust me, sometimes things seem slow. So we were at 75.47 and 164.64. Leah, could you repeat that? I'm sorry. We were at 75.47 for down, 64 for upload. That's still pretty good. Not like yours. But, you might mm, want to check with AT&T and make yeah. sure you're getting a good deal. Sure, sure thing. I will. Noted. Well, let's get into the questions. Okay. What are your top three tips in maintaining HIPAA compliance of documents online electronically? So my top three tips for maintaining, maintaining HIPAA compliance. Okay, the first one, this is a big one. And it's just realizing that you actually may need to adhere to this in general. So I think a lot of people don't quite understand that this may be applicable to them, especially a lot of attorneys that I work with, because I work with a ton of um, attorneys in the space working on disability, right? And so they don't even, I think, necessarily realize that they may be considered a business associate, right? And that protection of this electronic PHI is probably relevant to them. So just realizing that you need to adhere to it in general, understanding the privacy rule and the security rule for HIPAA and how um, they determine mandatory HIPAA compliance and outlining safeguarding data. So I'm going to just read you a little excerpt straight up from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services that defines the privacy rule. So it is a set of national standards to protect individuals' medical records and other individually identifiable health information and applies to health plans, healthcare clearing houses and those healthcare providers that conduct certain healthcare transactions electronically. The rule requires appropriate safeguards to protect the privacy of protected health information and sets limits and conditions on the uses and disclosures that may be made of such information without an individual's authorization. The rule also gives individuals rights over their protected health information, including rights to examine and obtain a copy of their health records to direct a covered entity to transmit to a third party an electronic copy of the protected health information in an electronic health record and to request corrections. And then just really shortly, I know that's a lot of info, but the security rule establishes national standards to protect individuals' electronic personnel health information that is created, received, used, or maintained by a covered entity. The security rule requires appropriate administrative physical and technical safeguards to ensure the confidentiality, integrity, and security of electronic health information. So those are real, that's a lot of stuff, but I'm pretty sure most of you guys have heard about administrative, physical, and technical safeguards. Yes. And those are like the, really the tenants of most of what I'm going to go over in the next few minutes is okay. just how can we safeguard that data and what are our responsibilities in doing that? And then really quickly, like what is a covered entity and what is a business associate? Like what do those things mean, right? So covered entities include healthcare providers, healthcare plan providers, and healthcare clearinghouses. Business associates include all organizations that work with covered entities and have direct or indirect exposure to PHI. 
including attorneys, shredding services, clearing houses, and more. And if your business, regardless of size, falls into one of these categories, like it applies to you, right? So surprisingly, I learned this recently because we were updating our privacy policy for our website. And I was working with my attorney and we were sort of looking at this because I don't provide patient healthcare services in my current capacity. So I'm like, always behave in a HIPAA compliant manner, because even though federally, like there are some great checklists on HS on health and human services to see who falls into what category. We always just rise to that level because it's this gray area, but state laws, people don't think about state laws. So there can be some state laws that even tighten down on more on what federal laws require. So for example, in the state of Texas, they can consider elementary schools covered entities because they contain shot records. Like, isn't that crazy? You would never think that. But knowing like, where do you fall in and then practicing the best possible practices, I guess. Not to reflect my age, but I recall when I was in elementary school, there used to be an annual physical. Do you remember? Do they, well, number one, do they still do that? Yeah. And two, I guess those records would be covered as well. Yeah. So not only do they have, so now I think what there is, there's the shot records. And then if you're going to do sports, I think they require a sports yes. physical. Yeah. I don't think that they necessarily require a physical just for being in school, but you know, there's tons of kids and I used to work a lot more clinically. So I did a lot of sports physicals and they right. had to turn them into the school. There's also a lot of the schools in different grades will do the checks for the spine for scoliosis. Yes. They might do audiograms to test hearing as part of public health measurements, vision checks. So those sort of things depending on your state can, you know, health and human services federally doesn't call an elementary school one of these categories, but depending on state laws, it may be protected health information and they may be considered a covered entity. So let me pause you for just a second. You have clients, I'm assuming, across the country. Yes. So are you having issues maintaining compliance with other states? So I don't think that we have that issue because we already max it out. Right. So we are already being, we're already behaving in the most compliant manner we can and just calling ourselves, whether there's some debate over whether we're a covered entity or not, we behave in that manner. Right. We behave and go through the security frameworks as if we are, no matter what. Right. right. But I guess my concerns would be if the a particular state had, say, a more stringent than even the highest or something else that's ancillary related to it that you still have to comply with. Are you keeping track of that? That's a really great question. So as far as the state of Texas is concerned, I don't think that there, and I know we're talking about all states. I don't think that there are higher safeguarding rules. That's something I'll have to talk to my attorney about. But Mm -hmm. what I can say is that we don't transmit any documentation to anyone but the individual we're dealing with, right? So the way that we, or their attorney, right? Their legal attorney. So even if someone's like, hey, can you get my records from this clinic? No, we will not work with any third parties to obtain records for you. We won't transmit records to your doctor. We'll give them to you. But So we put up even more safeguards beyond that to really just keep things in-house or with the person we're working with. I don't know if that partially answers. Yes and no. I mean, because I guess I'm concerned about any state having a more stringent standard or a separate requirement that because the persons at the receiving end or the sending end 
in a different state, say Virginia or Washington State or New York or wherever the case may be, that there's some sort of additional requirement. And that's probably a question for your attorney. And if you sure. do find out an answer, we'd love to hear back from you. Yes, I will definitely look into that. But what I can say, and this is something I was going to talk about in a few minutes as well, okay. is that HIPAA is on, now this is on a federal level, right? Right, right? HIPAA is on the end user, right? So if somebody transmits documentation mm -hmm. to me in a non-compliant manner, it's on them too. Them. Like it's important that I right. safeguard it but I'm right, only right. responsible for what I'm transmitting, right? Roger. So for example, I tell people not to email me protected documents, right? Don't send things through email. Although I use encrypted email outbound, right? I don't encrypt I don't encrypt for them because I don't use a, you know, some attorneys use portals where you have to communicate right. through a portal. Right. But I have, I use the drop form so people can upload things to me in that way. We have third ways to do it rather than email, but people will still email me their documents. And I'm like, please don't transmit your documents. But again, that is on the end user, them for transmitting them in that manner, if that makes sense. It does. Pardon the interruption. I hope you're enjoying the techsavvyleer.page podcast as much as I enjoy making them. Consider buying us a cup of coffee or two to help defray some of the production costs. Thanks and enjoy. The three tips that I have specifically are understanding if it applies, like if it applies to you, HIPAA compliance. Right. And my guess is it does, being lawyers and, and your third yeah. party. If you're dealing with medical, personal injury, medical malpractice, right. VA, whatever. Number two is going to be appoint a privacy officer who is responsible for monitoring and enforcing policies. Like have a quarterback that's handling your privacy-related issues. But you realize that solos and small practitioners are typically the privacy officer? It, it, yes. And honestly, my, me and my operations manager is my privacy officer, and she wears a lot of hats. So it's not like she's just a privacy officer. She does like a bajillion things, but that's one of her primary right, right. And then number three is use external sources wisely, right? Like use a an external firm to audit you. Look at HHS because there's tons of tools on health and human services to help you about guidance, reporting mm -hmm. information, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So before I expand in, or before I go off on a tangent about that, the three are understand if it applies to you in general, Right. have a quarterback for privacy related issues, right. and then use external resources and have someone checking you as like an external audit. But I think you said you wanted to expand on the third one. Well, I sort of wanted to expand on them a little bit and I'll expand on both of them in like one minute or under, because I know okay. we have two other questions to run, run through. <laughs> so appointing a privacy officer who is responsible for monitoring and enforcing policies and procedures, mm -hmm. designate a contact person or office to receive any complaints related to the privacy rule. Let's see. Mitigating impermissible disclosure. So that's a big one. And we'll talk about that in question number two. But if there's a disclosure, like how do you mitigate that? Is it reportable? Is it not reportable? So that should be something that privacy officer, like, did they mitigate the issue down? If I'm in the ER and some nurse hands a piece of paper to the wrong patient, does that need to get reported to HHS? Probably not. Can you get the paper back from the person? Can you contact them and say, you know, and there are guidelines on health and human services that like walk you through, is this reportable or not? Like, is it affecting 500 people or more? Is it affecting one person? Did you mitigate the risk? So that's kind of under that second bullet. And then the third one, use HHS, do the external security audit, do an external risk assessment. For HIPAA, it's the HIPAA high-tech risk assessment. I have a whole bunch of little sub bullets on that, but I thought this was going to be like, you've been very engaging. Like we've been able to oh, like talk oh, a lot. Yeah. So, Sorry. Uh, no, I love it. It's great. I think I probably overprepared and put like tons of notes on here. But... And that's okay. Let's get into the second question. 
What are your okay. top three tips maintaining a large number of documents online electronically? So that's a really great question. And a lot of this, I hate to be repetitive, but it actually ties back to those security safeguards that we talked mm -hmm. about in question number one. So really just collectively looking at this, I'll just give you the top three and then I'll break them down. Administrative safeguards, right? So, and I have some sub bullets on this. Technical safeguards, strictly enforced. And then lastly, having an appropriate amount of cyber liability insurance is always a good thing, right? So back to number one, those administrative safeguards have policies and procedures, right? Have classification based on data sensitivity. Like my data sensitivity categories are like internal, confidential, restricted, and then I limit access based on written job descriptions. So whoever I have answering the phones doesn't need to have access to sensitive files, right? So that's quite obvious, right? We want to limit and use the minimum necessary principle, right? Minimum necessary information to do whatever that job is. And it should be, access level should be in writing as part of the job description for your workforce members. So they should, you know, so you can help protect and safeguard that data. So again, for number one, those administrative safeguards for maintaining large numbers of documents, also having a process for communicating policies and procedures to your workforce. So I have annual training, they have to do cybersecurity and HIPAA, they have to sign my information security policy annually. Like, yes, they sign it when they get on board. But if we have an update to it, even if we don't update it, we have a document review policy. So it has to be reviewed at least annually. Mm -hmm. And then it has to be sent out to everybody and they have to sign and acknowledge because not only does that help keep your organization safe, it also helps you as the owner shift some responsibility onto some people, right? If they're not abiding by that, you can say, hey, I educated them. I trained them. They signed my policies. They had awareness. Now, is that going to absolve your completely? Well, you're the lawyer. You know, I don't know. Probably not, but it, it will show that you did some due diligence to right. guard, right? And this podcast is not here to offer legal advice. Yes. I encourage the listener to contact their attorney or use their discretion if they are an attorney to quote unquote, figure it out. However, we're not here to offer legal advice. Totally. Please continue. So again, I have a document review policy that, you know, I have a library of my policies and we annually review them. We obtain a pro, you know, my security manager obtains appropriate approval from me or from that party that's responsible for that section to make sure that it's approved. We push out those policies out. Processes for granting and revoking access. So you should have an onboarding and a termination policy for like, we're in a cloud. So if somebody gets terminated, we have an actual procedure for that termination, wiping the device. So I can't wipe their cell phone, like stuff that's stored on their cell phone. But if they have access to my cloud, I can wipe them off of my cloud, right? So that's number one for this question. Number two okay. is technical safeguards should be strictly enforced. Big. This is a big one, right? So having password authentication using multi-factor, right? Whether we're using authenticator apps, using whatever, you should have two-factor authentication on your devices. You should have a complex password. What do you use for a password generator? So... The technologies that we use, so like for mm. G Suite, for example, they are allowed to select their own passwords. So they can, it, it okay. gives a password generator, but they can select their own passwords. But we have minimum requirements set at the administrative right. level. So I think it's either eight or 12 length. No, it's in my InfoSec policy, but it's no repeating characters. They've got to have all these different things in them. It also requires them to change it every 90 days. They also don't have, like, if they get locked out, they don't even have the ability. My staff doesn't even have the ability to, like, request password reset. Like, they have to come to me or my my security manager, and we can reset them. So just really strict enforcement of the tools that are inherent in whatever system you use. 
And that's another thing is that you just have to, just because you partner, like we partner with G Suite, right? Just because they offer a HIPAA compliant and a BAA and all this stuff, it's not out of the box that way. You have to configure it to be that. Right. I interrupted. Please then finish your thought. And then I have a question. Just the, these different things that are offered, even with Zoho, all these different, if I don't turn on encrypt, you right. know, toggle on encrypt or toggle on enforced two-factor authentication, like I'm not actually utilizing it to be in that compliant window. So understanding what you have to do to make it compliant, just because it's not out of the box that way is, is my point. So let me ask my question, if I may. Uh, have you ever considered using a password generating program like 1Password or some of the others? I have not, but that's something that I will definitely look into. I'm writing notes as we speak. So 1Password like contains a vault of your passwords and will generate for you, if you want, complex passwords. And it works both on Windows and Mac, and they will integrate into your browser. So like if you need to create something for a new password or if you need to update one or pick, quite frankly, if you need to like call your username and password, it will enter that into the web browser information for you. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to have to take a look at that for sure. I think Zoho actually in their suite has some type of alternative to that. One of my developers has been like on my butt about it. So I should probably take a look now that you've given that second feedback about it. And the nice thing is it will sync across devices, whether it's Windows uh -huh. or Macs, whether it's a desktop, a laptop, a smartphone, or a tablet. So it, your information is always consistent as you're moving from one device to another. Sure. Plus, you can get something like for Teams, mm -hmm. so that not only do you have your passwords on there, you can also keep everyone else's passwords on there. So you can control the passwords and also say, you got to use these requirements that allows you to set like the length, sure. the types of characters you can, repeating, not repeating, etc. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look into, I think Zoho's uh, version of that is called Zoho Vault. So I'm going to, okay. I'm going to take a look. So lastly, on the technical standards, I just have, have VAAs with your third party, with your vendors, right? So that's also a little bit of what we just discussed, like configure it. I have a BAA with Google. If you don't ask for a BAA or business associate agreement okay, that thank you. outlines basically a document that says, this is how we all behave with protected information, execute that agreement and have data retention standards. So I used to think that I should keep all of my records for forever just to cover my butt in case anybody ever right. has a question. But that's actually not the best practice because if I'm keeping terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of right. data, my risk of with a breach actually, go, it, mm -hmm. my risk of breach doesn't go up. But if a breach occurs, there's more data spillage that can happen, right? So that's why most places say, most medical centers keep say they have a seven-year retention policy. Right. If right. you have records for 25 years and you have a breach, now you've got 25 years worth of people's right. data to, you know what I'm saying? So have a data retention policy. And then that third question that we had for this, or that third point is having appropriate amount of cyber liability insurance, explicitly cyber liability insurance. For example, my policy has like a contingency plan. If something happens, these are the mitigators that you need to call so that they can help like immediately help you start mitigating what's going on. And actually that's the last point you made, not necessarily cyber liability, but that is important as well, but the contingency plan. Mm -hmm. And what people seem to forget to do is maybe once a year test drive it because Lord knows when the proverbial poo hits the fan, you're freaking out, you don't know what to do, and mm -hmm. it can be sometimes a mess. And it's not a fun experience to go through. Any tips about purchasing cyber liability insurance? So 
I use a broker for all of my different insurance policies mm -hmm. and cyber, especially when you're in a cloud environment, but depends on the limits you want to get. So you might have to get a cyber, like I have a cyber specific company that does my cyber liability because right. for example, my errors and omission or my um, general liability, they'll cover some cyber, but you really may want to get a cyber specific organization to do mm -hmm. that depending on your need. But I have a great broker that has worked with me for years to find the best policies. And then I have my attorney review all of them, right? So right. like, that's probably my best two cents is work with professionals that are smarter than you about the situation and then trust their advisement or get yep. crossover. My gotcha. broker looks and then my attorney <laughs> looks and they cross. So before we go into the third question, I'm yeah. going to sort of ask you and forgive me a surprise question because sure. I just thought of it while we're talking. Do you use any artificial intelligence like chat GPT to help you with any of this work? And if so, how do you keep security tight on it? And I see you shaking your head. Mm -hmm. No. What are your thoughts? No, I don't use ChatGPT at all because it's so unregulated, right? So it's just, I think it's really neat and it's really awesome. I may actually use it a little bit for my blog, but that's right. a blog, that, right? Right, that's different. But for this stuff, I don't because there's no anything, any technology that I use that intersects with my work products has to sign a BAA with me. They have right. to be SOC certified. They have to have all these different things. And ChatGPT right. is just like open AI. It's like wild west right now. So I just don't. Let's take this in a slightly different direction and go with question number three. What are your top three secret tips for using your favorite PDF reader? So I don't know that these are really secret tips. And this question is probably going to be my most short-lived answer because, <laughs> I mean, I use PDF readers every day, right? So I enjoy the redaction tool. Yep. So we're talking about tools, right? Yep, so yep. I enjoy the redaction tool quite mm -hmm. a bit. I enjoy the encryption tool for many yep. of the reasons we just discussed. Yep. And I like just the editing tools, like exporting files between Word, right, right. PDF, other editing tools. The redaction tool is probably my favorite because like if I work with an awesome attorney like you and you're like, hey, let me see some of your work product, I can send a redacted documents versus John Smith or whatever. It is always interesting how every once in a blue moon, you hear of a redacting error by an attorney who filed something and like he forgot to lock the document, like he redacted it because the redaction didn't save or because it didn't lock. The other side can either remove them or, well, not even unlock it since the, the attorney didn't bother to lock it to begin with. Right. And like, I remember one attorney using some sort of redaction tool, but you could still read through it. Interesting. It happens. Yeah, I think honestly, there are a lot of, there is some room for error. Although I've been watching in preparation for this, I watched some videos just to get a little smarter yeah. on some of the things I was going to discuss. And there are some tools actually, like I manually redact the documents. I like read through everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might control F and look for the name and do it that right. way. But then I read through everything. But there are actually tools that you can use in a lot of these readers that will, like you can plug in, look for these things and it will do right, it right. for you rather yeah. than. Yeah. And so I didn't, and as silly as that sounds, I was like, had an aha moment when I saw mm -hmm. that. And I was like, but you guys as attorneys, I think probably, you probably have like a class in law school on how to use these readers and no we don't and i say i'll say they don't that i'm aware of because for my day job i typically hire law students to help and i had this interesting conversation with one of my clerks literally yesterday and she's like well i'm not sure i can get you the brief to you on a particular day i'm like well do what you can because i kind of need it by this day so i can start putting my input and whatnot and i'm like well which generally the if the, what's their general concern just so i have an idea and she's like well the problem is that i may not have your table of contents and your index of cases 
compiled. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, what's the problem? And they're like, well, I've got to run it through Lexus. And I'm like, run it through Lexus? And I'm like, are we talking the same thing here? And I showed her how to automate a table of contents in Word. Mm -hmm. Now, mind you, we're not mm -hmm. talking about PDFs, we're talking about Word. And how to automate that process by using the styles and how to use the index and tabs function feature to uh, have a table of authorities. And she was like, oh my God, they didn't bother to teach us this in appellate writing. This would have saved so much time. And mind you, I don't mind teaching the students this, but this is something that they really needed to know and something that I knew you know, back in high school. The All three of your tips are great. But I have to admit, I'm genuinely surprised at my, that you didn't include my favorite. Which one is your favorite? My favorite is the OCR function, optical character recognition of just taking a document, mm -hmm. even medical documents, and running through and pulling out all the words. Because I, like you, deal with a lot of medical documents. And when I'm looking for that one condition somewhere in the doctor's notes, now mind you, if it's hadn't written, you know, I may have to like use my eyeball, so to speak. But if it's typed out, like I'm looking for condition X and I can just do a find function and search the whole document for X or whatever the condition might be and populate on all the various mm -hmm. pages, that will help narrow things down a lot. Okay, so I will give you that that is definitely number one for me. Okay. Like, okay. And it's, it, and so I just, I didn't even think, I was just thinking, let's talk about tools that are functional, whatever. But I 100%, that is my all day, every day tool that I use when I'm searching documents. So it saves um, me agree. so much time. And people like years ago, other attorneys mm -hmm. and law clerks go, how did you find that so fast? They're like, I can't find this mentioned anywhere in the 3000 page document we have. And I'm like, well, give me a minute. And I find it. And boom, they're like, how, how did you find that? It's like, crazy, you know, right? It, it is amazing. And I tell plenty of people that I don't think that I could be doing what I do today if I didn't have my tech skills. Because Yes. I mean, I, you're. this is an amazing conversation to have, but I will say that one of the things that I think sets me and my organization aside, and by no means are we like probably the best at everything. We just do the best we can. But having a tech focus and really utilizing tools mm -hmm. and as much as my work product is important and our quality is, like that tech and that security and compliance mm -hmm, point is mm -hmm. like equally as important for me. And it's all mm -hmm. I think about is compliance and how can we automate and do things in a more, and, and that's what sets people apart, I think. So actually that reminds me of a question I had for you when we sure. were talking about your tech stack. Do you use something like Zap? Well, I don't use Zapier because Zapier is not, I pretty sure we looked into this previously. I don't think it's a HIPAA compliant means mm -hmm. of, of doing things, but Again, JotForm does integrate with different things. So it's right. not as good as Zapier, but it, it does perform okay. some of that functionality for me. Okay. That's interesting to know, given that Zapier is like supposed to be like a major player in the game, but that they're not HIPAA compliant. Well, don't quote me on that. I'll have to look it up again. But I recall looking into using Zapier for more things a few mm -hmm. years ago. And I think that was the reason why. But you would be surprised that a lot of these organizations just don't do it because they don't have to, right? Like Facebook is not HIPAA compliant, right? Right. And they put, there's a bunch of stuff going on with OCR right now about their pixels and about all this kind of stuff because they just don't have to. Excellent. Well, Leah, again, I want to thank you for being here. Yes. Where can people find you? So thank you so much for having me. People can find us at my website is .com. That's Medical Consulting Texas, basically, prestigeveteranmctx.com. 
Also, I have a great YouTube channel where I discuss veteran-specific things. Hopefully, you're going to put it in a link to this underneath this podcast in the show notes. And, you know, that's about it. So hopefully, if you guys need anything, just reach out, and I'm happy to to assist if I can. Did you give an email? Oh, my email address is leah at prestigeveteranmctx.com. I will be sure to have all that in the show notes and anything else that you provide. And again, I want to thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.